Howdy folks, this is Matt Sewell. Welcome to episode 25 of the Popecast. Our subject this week came from nothing, fought for the truth, and ended up practically saving the world. Better to be frail in body and strong in will than the other way around. Am I right? This week it's Pope number 225, the Pope who saved Western civilization, St. Pius V. Antonio Ghisleri was born in the Lombardy region of Italy in 1504, the son of a poor but noble family. His early years were spent as a shepherd, an interesting nod to the future no less, but at 14 he caught the eye of the Dominican order, specifically two priests who caught on quickly to his intelligence and simple virtue. Antonio joined the Dominicans as a novice, taking the name Michel for St. Michael the Archangel, and was ordained a priest a decade later, in 1528. During his 16 years as a professor in Pavia in northern Italy, Michel was a professor of philosophy and theology as well as the master of novices, effectively the guy in charge of forming the youngest Dominicans. On this last point, he was many times elected to be in charge of various priories, little monasteries or houses where groups of the novices lived in community. This was a time when morals typical to the clergy and those aspiring to the clergy were at a strikingly low level, not unlike our current time. And so Michel made it his goal in his formation of young men to insist on discipline and growth in the monastic virtues of humility, silence, and obedience. More than anything, Michel's effectiveness as a teacher undoubtedly came from his being a witness first. He was constantly fasting and doing penance, would spend long hours in adoration in front of the Blessed Sacrament, and as the Catholic Encyclopedia recounts, he, quote, traveled on foot without a cloak in deep silence, or only speaking to his companions of the things of God, end quote. Of course, the zeal and demand for greatness from a man like Father Michel rubbed many the wrong way, but he didn't particularly care. Besides, the church had other plans for him, as it turned out, where once again his intelligence and virtue preceded him. The man who would eventually come two popes before Father Michel in the chair of Peter, Paul IV, then known as Cardinal Carafa, did appreciate the zeal of the Holy Dominican, and enlisted his help in numerous roles battling heresy throughout the Christian world, which actually culminated with him getting a nice red hat and being named Inquisitor General in 1557. This gave now Cardinal Gisleri the license he needed to fight the scourge of spreading Protestantism and reform the church of her bloatedness, laxity, and clerical abuses, those he had fought so diligently since his early days as a priest, but this time on a much wider scale. To cite a brief example to show the Cardinal's fortitude, at the time, as was the case many times throughout papal history, as listeners to the podcast should know, nepotism was particularly rampant. Pius IV, the man who Cardinal Gisleri would follow as Pope in 1566, wanted to make his 13-year-old nephew a Cardinal, presumably to win the title of Funnest Uncle. But the stalwart Cardinal put up what the Catholic Encyclopedia called insurmountable opposition and was able to convince the Pope otherwise. Upon Pius IV's death in early December 1565, the papal conclave was convened and, despite his express wishes against being elected and thanks to the great support of St. Charles Borromeo, a fellow cardinal, Pope Pius V was chosen as the next successor of St. Peter. Borromeo, who also was one of the key players at the recently concluded Council of Trent, supported Pius due to having a, quote, high esteem for him on account of his singular holiness and zeal, end quote, 
and assured his brother cardinals that the church would be better with him as pope. Pius V was officially installed on his 62nd birthday, January 17, 1566. His simple and penitent way of life didn't change a bit, even after he donned the white cassock. Contemporary accounts note that he would wear a hair shirt under his clothes, would frequently be seen traveling barefoot, and despite an insane schedule, as he was when he was a young priest, would still spend hours in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Speaking into his regular mode of operations as Pope, the Catholic Encyclopedia notes that Pius V, quote, in his charity, visited the hospitals and sat by the bedside of the sick, consoling them and preparing them to die. He washed the feet of the poor and embraced the lepers. It is related that an English nobleman was converted on seeing him kiss the feet of a beggar covered with ulcers. He was very austere and banished luxury from his court, raised the standard of morality, labored with his intimate friend St. Charles Borromeo to reform the clergy, obliged his bishops to reside in their diocese, and the cardinals to lead lives of simplicity and piety. End quote. Pius also forbade bullfights from St. Peter's Square. I guess that was a thing back then. He also enforced fully the decrees of the Council of Trent, supported missions in the New World, and joined the likes of predecessor St. Gregory VII and Pope Boniface VIII as upholders of the supremacy of the papacy over civil powers. On the sainthood front, likely with childlike giddiness, Pius V declared St. Thomas Aquinas, a doctor of the church, in 1567. To commemorate the occasion, Pius also commissioned the first edition of Aquinas's works to be produced at the Dominican headquarters in Rome, known to us now as the Angelicum, or the Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas. On the liturgy front, as a little shout-out to any of our more traditional Catholic listeners, Pius V followed the direction of the Council of Trent and standardized the celebration of Holy Mass with the 1570 edition of the Roman Missal, For those unfamiliar, that's the book clergy use to essentially know the words to say and what motions to do during Mass. The new Missal was implemented throughout the Western Church, except in places where a liturgy was being used that originated from before 1370 AD, interestingly enough. Paired with the Missal was also a catechism promulgated in 1566 and a revised breviary, the Manual of Prayers Prayed Daily by All Clergy in the Church in 1568. These were in use virtually unchanged for nearly four centuries until Pope St. Paul VI's revision in the late 1960s, though it's fair to note that the seed of those reforms stems all the way back to the 1700s and Pope Benedict XIV, but that's a story for another episode. All of the Tridentine reforms, those from the Council of Trent, were in service to the surging spread of Protestantism. But Pope Pius V's crowning achievement was a victory over the Ottoman Turks that has resounded through the centuries and gone down in history as one of the greatest naval battles of all time. The day was October 7th, 1571, and the battle was Lepanto. Six years prior, just before Pius was elected to steer the bark of Peter, the armies of Suleiman the Magnificent sent his fleet of 40,000 troops to siege the stubborn island of Malta. He had progressively been conquering more and more formerly Christian lands, but the tiny Catholic outpost was the perpetual bee in his bonnet. Against all odds, as Father George Rutler recounts in a 2016 essay, quote, only 10,000 Turks survived to limp slowly back to Constantinople, end quote. The Ottoman Sultan was naturally none too pleased, to put it lightly, and spent the next half decade amassing an army of 300,000 men 
then massacring all who got in their way as they marched toward Vienna from the Middle East, with Rome as their ultimate goal. Following the brutal killing of 20,000 civilians in Cyprus's capital and the shipping off of 2,000 children as sex slaves to Constantinople, yeah, really, a frail old man in white asked stronger and much younger men than he to put aside their differences for the good of the church, for the good of humanity. The fruit of Pius V's effort was known as the Holy League, announced officially at Santa Maria Sopra Minerva in Rome, and comprised of forces from the Papal States, Spain, Genoa, Naples, Sardinia, Venice, and the Knights Templar. England, run by the Protestant tyrant Elizabeth I, whom Pius V had previously excommunicated, as well as France, who had already sold out to the Turks, were, of course, of no help. Pius implored the Universal Church to aid in the effort as well financially by tithing one-tenth of all revenues from monasteries throughout Europe, and spiritually by ordering all churches in Rome to be open for prayer day and night, and, as Father Steve Gruno of Ward on Fire writes, quote, encouraging the faithful to petition the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary through the recitation of the rosary, end quote. For the battle itself, Pius chose Don Juan of Austria, the bastard son of late Holy Roman Emperor Charles V, and the half-brother of the Spanish king Philip II. As Father Rutler writes, quote, He was everything the aged and arthritic pope reared as an impoverished shepherd boy was not, and almost nothing of what the pope was save for his love of Our Lady, a beguilingly handsome flirt, an elegant dancer, and acrobatic swordsman, who kept a lion cub in his bedroom, along with a pet marmoset, end quote. Don Juan was joined by none other than Miguel Cervantes, who after the battle would go on to write the classic, Don Quixote. The two of them were 24 years old. As Father Rutler rather pointedly notes, quote, roughly the same age as some modern youth on our college campuses who demand safe spaces to shelter them from lecturers whose contradictions of their views make them cry, end quote. But I digress. For a full and beautiful recounting of this epic battle, read G.K. Chesterton's poem Lepanto, or the essay from Father Rutler found in the show notes. In short, and against all odds, though, the world swung as if on a pendulum that day. An outnumbered Christian fleet was aided by an inexplicable 180-degree wind shift, attributed later by Pius V to the breath of Our Lady, if you will, and overtook the Turks in a five-hour battle that saw all of their ships sunk, nearly 30,000 Turkish casualties, and the freeing of 15,000 Christians. History tells us that Pius V, at the moment of victory, was in an entirely ho-hum and unrelated meeting, seemingly a world away. The exact details were never put on paper, but Father Rutler tells the tale beautifully. Quote, he saw the scene miraculously while in the church of Santa Sabina, discussing administrative accounts with his advisor, Bartolo Basati, and announced the victory to him 19 days before a messenger of the Doge of Venice, Mochenigo, reached Rome with news no longer knew, of the great victory. Pius said, Let us set aside business and fall on our knees in thanksgiving to God, for he has given our fleet a great victory. Five years later, the astronomer and geographer Luigi Lilio died. He was a principal architect of the Gregorian calendar implemented in 1582. But trained minds like his, acting upon the testimony of witnesses, calculated by the meridians of Rome and the Curzola Isles, that the Pope had received his revelation precisely as Don Juan leaped from his quarter deck 
to repulse the Turks boarding his vessel, and when the Ottoman galley Sultana was attacked side and stern by Marco Antonio Colonna and the Marquis of Santa Cruz. End quote. It's difficult to overstate the importance of the Battle of Lepanto. Father Rutler goes on. Had the Christian fleet sunk off western Greece on October 7th in 1571, we would not be here now. These words would not be written or spoken, I guess in this case in the podcast, in English. And there would be no universities, human rights, holy matrimony, advanced science, enfranchised women, fair justice, and morality as it was carved on the tablets of Moses and enfleshed in Christ. End quote. Pius V declared October 7th from that day forward the Feast of Our Lady of Victory, attributing to Mary's intercession the great triumph on the water that day. Victory indeed. The humble pontiff had grander plans to further diminish the power of Islam, but he was called to his reward before he could. Pius V died on May 1st, 1572, after suffering from a painful illness over some months. He was beatified by Pope Clement X in 1672 and was canonized by Clement the 11th in 1712. Pius is buried at the Basilica of St. Mary Major in Rome. Well, that's it for our bio, but as we close this episode on one of the truly great popes in the history of the Catholic Church, as we do in every episode that it's possible, here's a quote from the hand of Pius V himself, specifically from the papal bull Consueverant Romani, exhorting the Christian faithful to pray the rosary following the simple method of St. Dominic who was inspired, some say from an apparition of Mary herself, to begin praying it in the 1200s. Here's Pius. Quote, For Mary by her seed has crushed the head of the twisted serpent, and has alone destroyed all heresies, and by the blessed fruit of her womb has saved a world condemned by the fall of our first parent. From her, without human hand, was that stone cut, which, struck by wood, poured forth the abundantly flowing waters of graces. And so Dominic looked to that simple way of praying and beseeching God, accessible to all and holy pious, which is called the Rosary. Following the example of our predecessors, seeing that the church militant, which God has placed in our hands in these our times, is tossed this way and that by so many heresies, and is grievously troubled and afflicted by so many wars, and by the depraved morals of men, we also raise our eyes, weeping but full of hope, unto that same mountain, whence every aid comes forth, and we encourage and admonish each member of Christ faithful to do likewise in the Lord, end quote. Powerful stuff. When was the last time you picked up your rosary, right? Well, that's it for this week. If you've enjoyed this or other episodes, of course, please subscribe, rate, review the podcast uh, at iTunes or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Um, You can also find us online, of course, at thepopecast.fm. If you'd like to share with your friends, just send them that link. Also, to become a patron and help us continue churning these out, consider connecting with us on Patreon for a buck or two an episode. That's at patreon.com slash Matt Sewell. That's patreon.com slash M-A-T-T-S-E-W-E-L-L. The more patrons we get, the more incentive there is to continue producing new episodes since you only get charged when there's new content. Plus, patrons get new episodes a day earlier than the public, among other benefits coming down the pike. So that's uh, patreon.com slash Matt Sewell. And of course, lastly, for great Pope quotes and such in between these new episodes, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Popecast. That's at The Popecast. Well, again, that's it for this week. We close as we do every time we have a sainted pontiff as our subject. Pope St. Pius V, pray for us. Until next time. <laughs>